You guys ready? Yeah. Ready. You nervous? No. No? <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome to Fair Game episode... No, I'm going to start that over. <laughs> Podcast episode one, take two. Welcome, everybody, to the Fair Game Podcast. My name is Ben Clymer. I'll be a co-host. With me, as always, is Mr. Eric Mayville. Nice to see you. And, of course, the, the legend himself, Mr. Adam Scott. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ben. So what is Fair Game? I'm sure many of you are wondering, and that, that's kind of what we're here to answer today. So, so Eric, from your perspective, what, what is Fair Game? I think Fair Game is a chance for us average golfers to see what it's like to really be you know, on the other side, as well as uh, kind of find a way to make the game a little bit more approachable and equitable in some manners. Yeah. And Adam, what, what do you think? Well, I think it's kind of the opportunity for me, whatever knowledge I have of the game and experience and being a fan of the game, just like you guys, to kind of branch out a little bit. I think um, seeing so much of it from inside the professional game, I'd like to get, get that out and um, show a little bit more about how good the game is just generally for everyone. Yeah. And I think it's important for, for our listeners to understand the genesis of, of, of this project is, is that Eric and I have been friends for, for over 10 years, Adam and I for coming on probably four or five years now. And without these two guys, I wouldn't be playing golf at all. Truly. I mean, I, I played when I was when I was very young. I, I was joking with Eric earlier that I was, I think, the last player, the last man on the on the varsity team in Brighton High School. Shout out to Coach Principino, wherever you are. Um, but, you know, I, I, I built a business and over those 10 years, I really didn't play at all. That's not to say I wasn't interested or that I didn't love it. But without a community around to really encourage me to play. It's, it's really a difficult sport or game to, mm -hmm. to get into. And then, you know, when I had a little bit more free time and I reconnected with, with Eric and then connected with Adam, I realized that th this game is amazing. And this game can really open up a lot of doors for you from a health perspective, from a mental health perspective, uh, as well as a social perspective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, uh, I took a little break myself. And, you know, again, right around when we met was when I was getting back into it. Being based in New York City is a little tough to get out and play some, some golf, but uh, any chance we get is, it definitely makes me feel better that week. <laughs> you know, it feels like I've accomplished something, even if I didn't break uh, 90 or 80, but you know, we're, we'll get better at that part. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and I think today, you know, our, you know, we have the distinct pleasure of being here with, with, with Adam Scott, you know, uh, a, a multi-event uh, winner on, on the PGA Tour and, and elsewhere. And I, I think what is so kind of interesting about what we, we hope to do here is that we, you know, we're actually here two weeks before the 2021 Masters. Mm -hmm. uh, we're in Southern Florida right now with, with Adam and, and his coach, Brad, uh, to really understand how somebody like, like Adam, who has, in, in fact, won the Masters in 2013, thinks about it and prepares for an event like this, which is obviously, you know, a pinnacle of the golf season. But even beyond that, I mean, this is arguably the most well-known, most important golf event of the world. It's one that really touches outside the world of golf. Yeah, I think so. It's got a huge reach, the Masters. I certainly, I knew that before I'd won it. But then after winning it, it, it really changes things. It does. It's, it's incredible what they've managed to uh, cultivate there in Augusta National. And... Uh, the Masters is a special thing, and you're kind of catching me right at the beginning. I mean, I've been thinking about the Masters for months, don't get me wrong, but this is where I've just played my last event before I'll play the Masters, and you're catching me right at the beginning of two weeks of preparation. So it's really early stages, but I think this is going to be a fun uh, few episodes to kind of document my process in yep. getting through this tournament. Uh and fingers crossed, hopefully it all works out really well and we're talking at the end in a green jacket. But, 
if it if it doesn't, it'll be fun anyway, and it's a learning experience. And that's what I've also enjoyed with you guys the last couple of years is understanding your experiences of the game of golf. I see it from a professional side a lot, but also seeing what you guys get out of it. And I think that's what we're all going to be trying to do here is kind of promote that a little bit and get some people interested. Yeah, and I think that's exactly it. Is that the, the end goal here is really just generate more interest in a game that I think we all love and I think has really proven to be a, a really valuable um, outlet for, for all of us, and in some cases from a professional level and in other cases from a you know kind of consumer recreational level. Um, so before we get into preparing for the Masters, as we've mentioned, you were um, you reached you know I would say the pinnacle of professional golf in 2013 when you won the Masters, and it seems like a very basic question, but it's one that I that I have to ask. Uh, what was it like winning the Masters? <laughs> yeah, it's dream dream come true kind of thing. Uh, you know, I as a kid, the Masters was really the only golf tournament I remember as a little kid in Australia. It's a big deal down there, and we had Greg Norman. Uh, the number one golfer in the world for so many years, especially in my childhood, uh, was very influential. And I remember getting to stay home Monday morning as the Masters finished over here on a Sunday from school as Greg tried to win the 1987 Masters and he lost in a playoff. And everyone in Australia was heartbroken. So long-time memories of the Masters and to actually end up being the first Australian to win (laughs) is really... It, it's quite in, incredible. It's probably, you know, no matter what I do for the rest of my career, if I win it again or if I win another major, I'm going to be the Austra- first Australian who won the Masters. So it's very special for me, for sure. Yeah. And did, did winning the Masters mean more to you as a golfer or as an Australian? Um, good, good question. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's very... Uh, it could be more as an Australian, actually. It it's that was that big a deal. I mean, we're a strong sporting country down there, and uh, we have some great sporting heroes. Sure. And to kind of put myself in a discussion of that as that guy who finally got it done for Australia was, it, is something pretty special to me. I mean, I've, obviously, I'm a proud Australian, and uh, that's a nice, nice little thing to have next to my name. I would say. Did you bring some uh, Australia to your uh, champions dinner? Yeah, it was super Australian themed. That was a fun. That was a fun deal. I brought in some beef from Australia, some Moreton Bay bugs, which is a bit like crayfish to put on top of them, and uh, what else? Brought some good Australian wine, which the uh, wine buffs around the champions table was very happy with me about. (laughs) So it was a it was a fun night. It's a special night. Strong memories of that. But this is what. That's why the Masters is special. They do this every year in every little detail for everybody who gets to go or even watch on television. I mean, the worst, the only downside of playing the Masters is you don't get to watch it on TV. You know, it's such a good, (laughs) it's so appealing to watch those golf holes and iconic shots and, you know, Nicholas was hitting from here and he had a great shot and then Faldo was hitting from here and Tiger did this and, you know, it's so easy to remember because they go there every year. So the, the Champions Dinner is, is, is relatively well-known, but for those who might not know it, what is the tradition with the Champions Dinner? Yeah, so um, quite a while ago, uh, Ben Hogan started the Masters Club, which is the Champions, and they had a dinner, just the Champions and the chairman of the golf club. Um, I don't know if it's always been on Tuesday night, but it is on Tuesday night now. 
and it's a room of roughly about 32, 34 of us, depending who comes and doesn't. But uh, Doug Ford was coming. He was 94, I think, at yeah. the last time he came. So, uh, you know, it's something special for every champion. And to sit in a room like that, um, certainly one of the most nervous conversa- or, or talks I'd given is standing up and addressing that room <laughs> and looking down the line of Jack Nicholas and Tom Watson, Gary Player, Tiger, ev- everyone being there. But what, what a special evening as a golfer to sit there and be able to experience that. It, it is such a great night. Bubba put your jacket on, right? Bubba, do yeah, you, and then you, I put it back on him the uh, next year, and uh, I said, "Let's keep this going," and it hasn't kept going. <laughs> go back and forth a little bit. Yeah, yeah, the back and forth would have been good, but yeah. not. It hasn't quite happened. Did you get a little bond at all? Did you know him before the uh, green jacket transfer? <laughs> I knew him before, but but there is definitely it's a little bit of a fraternity, you know. Mm-hmm, like sure. there's something special we share. There's there's no doubt from the dinner to, you know this time of year the last couple of weeks and you see another champion and you're like looking forward to seeing you tuesday night yeah. you know it, you know it's coming and mm-hmm. and it really does mean so much i i think you go back to last november when dustin won the and the guy couldn't talk in his right. interview afterwards and here's one of the coolest cats out yeah, there he's who, really he's stone cold he is guy. stone cold <laughs> and you're never really sure what he's feeling, but right. there, there was no way of hiding it there. You know, it meant so much to him to win the Masters, and uh, it was great to see, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it, it was in, endearing to me that, you know, here's the yep. coolest guy, <laughs> cat out there, who makes it all look so easy and cruises to wins all the time, but this one was very special. Yeah, as, as a spectator, it really felt like, okay, this, this is a special moment for him, and it felt good for the golf community to see Dustin win that one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he is super talented and he does make it look easy, but he puts in a lot of work. Right, yeah. And, you know, and to reach the pinnacle, in a sense, like you said, you can see that was a special win for him. And, and it's nice to see. And I'm sure the person who wins this year is going to have that feeling, too. Yeah, and I think that that's a perfect kind of segue into what we hope the, these five episodes will be about, which is how, how you kind of figure out a way to, you know, I'll use air quotes here, peak at the mm-hmm. right time for, for a major. I mean, it, do you? I, I assume you prepare really differently for a tournament like this or the U.S. Open or something like that than you would for your standard, you know, your, your weekend tournament. Definitely more goes into it. Look, I'm taking a couple of weeks off to really give myself the time I need to, to peak. And peaking is difficult in golf. There's too many variables. I mean, it, 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 it's very hard. I mean, Tiger did the best job of it lately and he must have played 100 majors and he won 15 of them. You know, I've played like 80 majors and won one. Right. It, it's not easy to win a major. It's not easy to win a golf tournament. But you can give yourself the best chance. And, you know, so my way of doing that is is to prepare really thoroughly. And that gives hopefully gives me the confidence and and then the ability to execute when I get to Augusta. So you've kind of caught me like really day one, day two of preparing. I, I did a little range session yesterday with yeah. Brad and uh, we did a little range session today, which uh, we might be able to share on this cast. And, um, you know, it, it's early days, but you need that time to build up the repetition, to build up the confidence. We, Brad and I have been talking a lot about, like, you know, my mindset now. I've got to prepare my mind the next couple of weeks going into this so that, you know, I, I know how I'm going to pick apart the golf course and I know what shots I'm going to hit. So let's start practicing those shots and, and give ourselves the time to really prepare and 
not just go in there and wing it and see if I've got it on Thursday through Sunday or not. You know, a lot of us play, I think, you know, two, maybe three courses regularly. This is the only major on the same course every year. Do they do enough changes to the course that it feels different each year, or are you kind of coming into it knowing what to expect? Uh, you know what to expect. I yep. mean, I've played now maybe tw- this might be my 20th Masters. I'm 19th or 20th, and uh, there have been some changes over that time, but they're not trying to fool us. They're not trying to trick us or do anything like that their changes are very subtle it's an iconic golf course they're not going to just completely rebuild it every every time but uh you know what to expect you know what the challenges are so you should be able to prepare pretty well and i and i think you know for me at this point in my career i've got to use that knowledge (laughs) to my advantage over some of the guys who've only been there once twice or three times who are who are actually some of the favorites Sure. Probably for the tournament, these young guys playing so good now. Right. Um, but, you know, I've got to draw on that experience. Right. And, and, of course, Augusta is one of, if not the, you know, I would say most uh, exclusive clubs in the world. And that, you know, I, I would imagine even pros can't just show up there and, and say, hey, I'm here. Can I play? That's right. It's a pretty exclusive membership. And uh, it's part and parcel of its... Uh, you know it's enigma right. <laughs> that is augusta national mm-hmm. golf club um which is a cool thing but you know that they're very good once once you qualify for the tournament they're very hospitable to the pros i mean if you want to go up there early and practice and get mm-hmm. some rounds in yep absolutely you can they'll accommodate and let you do that i know some guys have shipped up there and played you know 30 and 40 rounds no in, in the months before but uh, hasn't necessarily led to a win, so <laughs> which I think they're happy with because otherwise everyone would be up there uh, for the first three months of the year. Um, but th- there is something to some course knowledge and, and feeling comfortable. It's intimidating golf course. Sure. And for the first 10 years of my career, I had beginner's luck and finished ninth in my first start and then didn't have any really great performances for another nine years and i just started to learn and think about where all the trouble was for that time and i had to get over that to start having some better performances mm-hmm. and there are only two sets of t's at augusta is that is that accurate that's right it's pretty unique i mean there aren't many clubs with only two sets of t's uh so there's the members t's and the tournament t's okay and it's long off both actually <laughs> <laughs> how big of a gap is there do you know it stretches out pretty long now. Like uh, the first hole must be seventy yards, um, and that sounds long. But I'll still challenge you guys to <laughs> tell me it's not long off the members' tees. It's, yeah. it's, it's a stretch. I mean, I've been lucky since I've won there. I've been able to take my mum and dad to play, who and they're good players, um, but certainly not long by any standards. And it's a it's a long slog around there for them. Sure. Of course, they enjoyed it very much. It's a fantastic experience, mm-hmm. but it's a long long golf course no matter where you're playing from. Right. And, and Augusta also, just a little little interesting factor, it also doesn't have a slope or rating, right? They, they don't prescribe to the same sort of okay. USGA ratings, I believe. Okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> I they don't. Know that either. They, they're not. Uh, we should fact check that, by the yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> they're not rating us on the tournament. But um, I could imagine that would be something that Augusta National would Sounds like do. something they might yeah, do. Yeah, they do. They, mm-hmm. they have, you know, some unique ways about them yeah. that sets them apart. Yeah. In terms of the timing this year, now that we're back to the regular scheduled April, was there a pretty big difference between April and November? There was, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was remarkable. They put 
the event on in November, really. I mean, if anyone could have said uh, we're not going to host a tournament this year, I felt like it could have been them. But yeah. uh, they're very aware of um, the enjoyment and the fun that mm-hmm. people have watching this event. So even in not ideal circumstances and conditions, they put an event on and I think everyone's happy for it. Um, that they got to watch some Masters last November. And I, I think, you know, now that we're here two weeks and one day, I think, away from, from, from tee-off, how does your mental game change versus, let's say, a, a normal, I won't name names, but a normal tournament, a non-major? Yeah. Look, I'll say, I mean, there, there is a change for sure because I, it, the first tee shot Thursday at the Masters is the most nervous I am all year. Right. Even coming down the stretch, if I'm coming down the 72nd hole at the Masters and it's all on the line, I think I would have been more nervous on the first tee. I think the adrenaline's flowing down the 72nd hole, but I've been out there playing for four days and kind of have myself under control and I've been playing well, so the confidence is good. But you're teeing there and you're expecting a good week, you want a good week, you're trying to slow your thoughts down. So there's a lot of preparation. Like I mentioned before, you know, the next two weeks buys me that time to really prepare physically but also mentally to kind of walk out there be able to gather my thoughts fall back on I've done all the work I need to do I've done the prep and and a a lot of athletes at least get all their confidence in preparation and I and I think this preparation of a couple of weeks work is proven in the past to yield some good results for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think from from my perspective, I was starting to, to think that two weeks actually didn't sound like that much. And then mm-hmm. I realized that actually you're preparing for it every single day when, when you're playing. And like, it, right. it is a different course, certainly, yeah. and a different mindset, and, and that it's a major, but you're taking the fundamentals that you built over your lifetime in, in playing golf and just applying it to, to Augusta. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I've played four of the last five weeks on the PGA Tour and had average results. I mean, of course, I want to win all the time, and that's great. But, you know, I, I'm i building to peak for this week, and things were looking better last week. But I've been thinking about Augusta all year and and, and not panicking. And, you know, I've, I know I'm going to have this time to really put myself in a, in a good spot. And, you know, the reason I don't like to play certainly the week before a major is then I'm on someone else's schedule for the week so if I need to do something but I have a tea time or there's a rain delay I'm not even playing golf you know you're just on some other schedule and I want to kind of control as many of those variables as I can I think we were talking a little earlier on the the range about what you kind of plan for in terms of your shots like can you talk a little bit about your strategy for attacking Augusta this year yeah I think um you know, there's certainly been a big push on distance. Look, that's what everyone's talking about in golf at the moment and people going for it. And uh, they're going to, uh, the tour guys and certainly Bryson and Rory and Dustin going to tear Augusta apart because of the length. And November was a good, like, little test run. It didn't really look like that to me, even though Dustin won, but he he's long. But he's, like, the most efficient driver. And I think driving is such a helpful thing around there it, it you don't have to be the longest but if you can get it in play a lot you can create a lot of opportunities so you know only a couple of days in thinking about it there's going to be some focus on building a driver game that's pretty reliable <laughs> this yep. year I mean if I was critical of myself last November it was a little loose off the tee I mean I was <laughs> 
not down enough fairways and I and that made it hard work you know you're scrambling a lot more and there's pressure and mm. your short game unless you feel Mickelson only holds up so long right. <laughs> you know and uh that's not the way I want to approach it so you know kind of modifying my game plan a little bit this year maybe not attack as hard on so many holes got to take advantage of the par fives I mean this is stuff that people have been talking about for years but you kind of have to put it all together Mm -hmm. and you have to be very clear and and not get up on the 13th tee and go oh the wind's really good for me to hit driver over the corner of the trees and hit an eight iron in and be disciplined and hit a three wood and then a four iron in or something like that and stick to your game plan so you know got to keep going over it in the head and for me it's just like having that clarity and calmness Mm -hmm. to the way i Mm -hmm. i approach it and play and um hopefully keep working on that for the next (laughs) couple of weeks yeah i I think one of the most interesting things about golf is that it's one of the only sports where we can participate as as total nobodies effectively with the professional athlete we've played golf together Uh, or at least you played golf and we played something that looks a little (laughs) bit like golf Uh, and i think what's so interesting is that it's amazing that you know i get frustrated with my own game when i can't putt or chip or, or whatever i know eric does as well and you know you being out there as an elite athlete you have the same frustrations with with yourself and it really never goes away no i think it Unless someone or unless you make 18 birdies as a pro, I'm not sure. Like, there's always something you could do better. Like, I don't know if the perfect round's ever been played. Of course, there are so many great rounds, and you've had a great round, and you've had a great round, and you're happy with. And then that's the benchmark. And it's like, unless I'm doing that every day, I'm going to get frustrated. And uh, it's hard not to if you have any kind of competitiveness in you at all. then that's what it is. But when you spend so much time and energy on it and you're not executing, it it is frustrating. Uh, When you think you're doing all the right things and, of course, then with a bad performance you have to analyse and, you know, that's taught me to be incredibly honest with myself. I mean, you can only blame other people so long, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And uh, then you have to reassess things. But like I was saying, I think with the experience now it's easier for me to analyse things and hopefully I shouldn't get so frustrated um and as far as when i play with amateurs which i do a lot uh is you know you've got to lower the expectation and i know a lot of pros who lower the expectation before they say go to the masters and just kind of talk themselves down right to Mm -hmm. to just free them up to just like take all the pressure off themselves the media takes the pressure off them (laughs) he's not got a chance and then all of a sudden you know there he is right in contention and uh I think it's not a bad thing for guys like yourself to kind of bring it down, you know, like I haven't played in two weeks. Well, what should you expect? You know, are you going to shoot the best round? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you can, but don't expect it, you know. And, uh, you know, having that kind of lightness almost to play golf in the head, like it's light and a bad shot, you just dust it off. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. Dustin does the best job of that out there. He just, what bad shot, he gets up and finds it and hits it up and... Mm -hmm and moves on and he it's like he's got a real lightness in his head and just gets on with it and i think that's a nice thing i try and promote at least i would to you guys and anyone else out there who's beating themselves up over golf when they play once a week and does that mental levity kind of come with 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 age not insinuating that you're old (laughs) by any means but uh you know with with experience or i mean when you were 25 and 30 on tour and really hunting i mean did, did, did it feel different to you then than it does now 
Um, I've always been fairly calm out there, I'd say. But yeah, no, I, I think with the experience, you know, it's more calm. There's less panic. I, I don't panic as much on the golf course now. I think I've addressed, you know, through some brutal honesty with myself and <laughs> picking apart all my own flaws, sure. I have uh, addressed those things that would send me into a panic and I just have a way around it now. And if I feel it going down that path, I have ways to get myself out of that place. I mean... You're pretty much stuck out there on your own in a tournament, nowhere to hide <laughs> when it's going wrong. Yeah. You know, it's like unless you want to walk off the golf course, you're out there and you're going to post a pretty bad number. Yeah. So, you know, and I think pride then kicks in and it's like, okay, you got you got to dig this out of the dirt here a little bit and, and do the best you can and not embarrass yourself. So, uh, you know, identifying those things as your game progresses probably gets easier when – yeah, if you looked back over my scores when I was a younger pro, I mean, you'll see some pretty average ones where where I didn't have control of these things. Right. And yeah. do you have, you know, kind of memories of scores or rounds that you just thought were so wonderful and then some that were just the most frustrating rounds ever? Uh, I pretty much forget, you know, it's a short memory for the bad stuff. Right. You know, I'm nearly perfect in my own mind, so... <laughs> <laughs> Short memory of the bad rounds, which is a good thing. I mean, it, you you analyze what went wrong, and then you've got to you wow. know discard completely. And and yeah, of course, I remember the good rounds. Well, which one do you want to hear about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is your favorite round you've ever played in a professional tournament? Uh, I think the best round I've ever played in a professional tournament. There there are a couple, but overall, in two thousand and six, I shot 62 on Friday morning at Murrayfield Village Golf Club uh, at Jack's tournament. And it was long rough and the bunkers were deepened that year and I think I was low man by five that day. It was a 67, which is a good score, but I played incredible and I had a bogey on the 16th hole. And (laughs) it was just an amazing round of golf. And the funniest thing was on the range that morning, we teed off pretty early, probably just before 8 a.m., I, I could almost not get a ball in the air. Like it was just terrible striking. Uh, I remember hitting these five irons, thin, off the bottom groove, no flight. I was getting flustered. And I don't think I knew that I was doing it, but basically I gave up on the range. Mm-hmm. You know, And the expectation was just gone. And I was, I just didn't expect anything that day. And I went out there and somehow made a couple pars early and then hit a good shot on the third and then a good one on the fourth and the putt went in and you know and this started happening but yeah so that's 15 years ago and i remember it pretty clearly of course (laughs) that was a good day it was a great it was a great round i mean it was just it wasn't necessarily the most meaningful round of my career but i i think it was for sure an incredible round on a really difficult golf course. And is that how you try to view rounds now where you kind of clear your head and, and don't try to think about, about too much outside of the world of golf? Yeah, the, the outcome is you've just got to let some things happen. I think, you know, as I think about Augusta now, I'm thinking about the path, taking advantage of the path fives. And in my head, I'm seeing how can I not birdie all four every day? And, mm-hmm. of course, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> sure. but, but you've got to get yourself to that place and then just let the round come to you. And Augusta is a course that can really do that too as a pro. If you go forcing it around there, one mistake is so costly, a double bogey. And then, and then you're on the back foot and then you have to have something good happen. Uh, whereas if you just... If you can be just a little bit patient and keep executing, Augusta gives you a lot if if you let it. 
and certainly I'm going to start with that approach mm-hmm. that week and try not to get on the back foot. <laughs> Does Augusta translate similar to, you know, when we're watching tournaments, you know, everybody says Saturday's moving day. So like, <laughs> does that, like, what does that mean for a professional golfer like yourself on Thursday, Friday and Sunday? That means if you're not leading, you yeah, better yeah. get going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it is. I, you can get yourself back in a tournament on Saturday. If you're too far behind Sunday, it's, it's, pretty hard to come back from 10 back on Sunday let's face it but if you just make the cut at Augusta usually you're probably within 10 shots and and I don't think that's unrealistic to think something great can happen and Mm -hmm. like I said Augusta can give you some good stuff there are eagles out there you hear the roars 15 and 13 and 14 they sometimes put the pin where I remember Mickelson holding a second shot there few years ago and and amazing things can happen out there if if it does you you're never out of it the two weeks before the masters and and you see guys like bryson who just won again recently Mm -hmm. uh and some of these other guys rory even you know who to me is a very kind of traditional player really focusing on length to an extreme degree Mm -hmm. is is that enticing to you does does that feel like something you want to kind of dally with or, or or not really uh it's something that you take notice of. I mean, it's it's my profession. You've got to be up to speed in right. everything that's going on. Um, you know, but I, but a little bit that distance game feels like a young man's game, and I'm really not fitting in that category anymore. But fortunately for me, you know, I've had speed in my career, and I still hit it far enough, I think, to be competitive. But we're not just driving the golf ball, and. Uh, you know, to Bryson's credit, he's done an incredible job of like rounding his whole game with this distance, probably better than any tour pro ever has before. So uh, he's getting a lot of guys to take notice. And, you know, Rory's obviously incredibly long too. And we're talking about, you know, favorites here for the Masters as well. And uh, there's a bunch of guys you can throw throw in that pot, but it's going to be more than just hitting it long that's for sure and i I think you know to to bryson's credit i mean i think there was a lot of kind of you know negativity around oh he's just a brute and all that but i mean winning the u.s open at winkfoot takes a lot more than just hitting the ball far otherwise all the long drive champions would be winning at winkfoot yeah exactly no look this guy has worked on every area of his game figured a lot of things out he's done it in a very different way than most traditional golf pros or golfers would do and um you know that's absolutely absolutely fine i mean we can't look overlook his putting performance let's get down to it i mean you're going to have to get the ball in the hole and his putting the last year or two has been outstanding so you complement that with some other areas that he's addressed and he's a dominant force for sure and when you look at you were obviously a a very close witness to the change that the game of golf went through when when tiger really was dominant in in Mm -hmm. those early years and you know the tiger proofing and pushing the tee boxes back etc do you feel that we're on the cusp of that again because of guys like bryson or was it just different times i really hope not uh, is what my (laughs) answer is you know it is it is that was different times. I mean, you know, it's unfair to kind of compare anyone golf-wise or even, um, you know, the feeling to Tiger. He, he was a phenomenon, you know. Truly. Like, he, he, he came along and he changed the direction of golf completely, uh, which was fantastic. And it was amazing to be kind of an up-close witness to all of that, although 
you know, he kind of beat me solid for 12 straight years before <laughs> I could get myself together to even think about competing with him. But, um, you know, I hope it doesn't go down that path. I hope we've learned some lessons, you know, over for sure some of the errors that we've made in the game through trying to tiger-proof a golf course for one guy, you know, in case he ever rolls around to play or or any of those other things that, you know, there's been lots of talk and certainly a lot of it is focused around distance these days and there's a lot of rules talk and things like that. We've never had so many rules changes in the last five years. So hopefully, you know, we settle down and, and make this really a game that is very welcoming to, to everybody, not confusing and, and kind of break some of that stigma of the traditional game of golf going forward. Yeah. You kind of talked about that earlier with um, just lowering our expectations but really it's increasing our ability to enjoy being out there i think and yeah i think that that's what's been most interesting over the past year with covid pushing everyone outside watching folks kind of come out maybe hadn't been playing as much really finding a way to enjoy the game might be playing in different formats or trying to meet more people and i think there's a there's a really big opportunity to continue to grow the game that way yeah and and i I think you're exactly right and i I think you know we're seeing such an increased interest in in the game of golf i mean the financial times wall street journal new york times all these major newspapers talking about golf being cool you know uh in Mm -hmm. in in a real way and a lot of it is centered around these great brands like malvin and and you know these fashion focused brands but i think you know that that aside and those those are adding to the conversation for sure it's just an increased interest from you know normal people and by normal people mm-hmm. i mean guys that come from middle class families or or lower you know lower income families and they just they just like the game for the game and it's mm-hmm. not about joining you know prestigious you know top 10 in the world country club it's not about you know playing golf with your boss which is kind of an old adage that i think you know i've never played golf with my boss ever i don't know if people still do that i guess they probably do something aren't you the boss yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Plenty of that. <laughs> that's right. okay that's true um but you know it, it's one of those things where it really feels like golf right now has momentum and it. it feels mm. like okay like golf is golf is really doing okay right now what do, you, what do you think i think so i mean look it's a bit of a silver lining off the whole pandemic for the game of golf is peaked interest and uh, you know as i sit here with you guys and seen ben's interest peak over the last couple of years it really got us thinking and and now you know we need the things to to keep that interest and you know certainly nurture those kind of grassroots to just get people out there to have some fun and play and there's lots of different ways to do that and i know there's simulator golf and there's top golf and all these things and i think they're all all really fun i mean a big thing for me is as i think back about me being a kid and even for kids getting into it it was like par three golf i mean that you know that got me really to like golf i guess because i played on these really short courses it felt like i was playing golf like the people i watched on tv and it was like relatable then and uh you know so there's many different ways to do it i just think we've got to have the organizations you know making it accessible enough in australia oddly enough golf's very accessible and uh quite easy for people to get out there some more challenges with that over here in the states just by sheer numbers you know to be honest you know you've got so many people and you can't just have that many golf courses like we do in australia but um, we've got to find ways to do this going forward. And I think off the back of this pandemic and the boost the industry is getting out of it, I hope they can address that. And that's kind of what we're trying to stir up a little bit too. 
Yeah, it, it really feels like like golf is is, is having a moment. You know, mm-hmm. I, I hate to use that term, but I mean, it really feels like okay, like people are interested in this in in an earnest way. Uh, you know, not in a way again where you just want to impress your boss uh, off the tee or something like that. <laughs> but you know, you really want to. It really feels like like golf is is good right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think we've got to keep that going, and uh, it's fun for me to see. You know, it's it's a passion for me as much as I it's my profession. You know, I love golf. I love talking about it. I'm like keeping up to speed on all these things, and and certainly as I get like later into my career here, I'm thinking about okay, what can I do? to help the game that's given me so much. I've traveled the world off golf. I've experienced everything because of the game of golf. Uh, So, you know, uh, I'm thinking about that going forward and hopefully have a positive influence as well. Yeah, agreed. We will be back tomorrow with episode two, which is actually going to take you guys inside the ropes of Adam actually on the range with his coach, Brad. Uh, and Brad has been Adam's coach for, for over a decade now, was with That's him right. when he won the Masters, a good good friend. And uh, I think it'll be really interesting for you guys to hear, to really see how these guys work through things together on the range. It's, there's a lot of nuance there that you probably wouldn't really think of. Um, so excited to see you guys this time tomorrow.